Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock in the UK, that means just after midday where I am, so I suppose this is midday motorsport as I'm looking out onto the Pacific, the Queen Mary just over to my right hand side. I'm here of course because it is the Bubba Burger Sports Car Grand Prix of Long Beach this weekend in what's going to be a very, very busy weekend for the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Uh, This is Midweek Motorsport then, Series 13, episode number uh, 14. And I'll be popping back up uh, through the show uh, as uh, it goes on. But over and up in London uh, is uh, Tim Gray. And on a packed programme tonight, Tim, we have what? We have all the usual features, John, including uh, the news. Uh, Nick Damon will be here. He'll be talking about things on four wheels and things on two wheels. Uh, Graham Goodwin hopefully will join us from the Sud de la France uh, avec les uh, informations de WEC Prologue, uh, Elmer's Prologue and also the Michelin Le Mans Cup Prologue which has been taking place today in the rain at Paul Ricard uh, and Shay Adam is uh, over with you and she'll be previewing uh, this weekend's action at Long Beach as well as looking uh, back at what happened at Phoenix last weekend in IndyCar. Excellent, excellent. And uh, so, shuffle your papers, because there's not much more I can uh, do from me, because I'm standing outside, so I can't even see the computer, with the apologies for absence uh, on uh, at Specutainment, obviously. Uh, uh, let's get cracking, play the jingle, shuffle your papers, and let's get cracking with some news. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And our top story this week comes from the world of Formula... Uh, no, it doesn't come from Formula One. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, the top story this week comes from MotoGP. Uh, fortunately, our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon, is also an expert in MotoGP. I am. And you say top story, my question would be, which one? There were so many top stories. Um, I suppose we could start with the wet qualifying, which... Yes. Uh, can I point out here that I have not seen qualifying for MotoGP. I also haven't seen the race for MotoGP. I've just been told that this is the most important thing that happened on a very busy weekend of motorsport, and that's why we have to lead with it. It's certainly the most exciting and interesting thing. Shall I tell you the whole story, Tim? Apparently, uh, someone did something naughty. Oh, many people did many naughty things. Do you want to start uh, with you... qualifying, though? Well, qualifying was very basic. Qualifying, uh, effectively... Um was just a wet drying session and uh, young jack miller caught everyone out by uh, by going into uh, going to slicks early and 
absolutely timed it correctly. And despite saying he was falling off every corner, he didn't actually fall off and he put anything on pole and making everyone look a bit silly. Now, the thing was, the whole weekend in Argentina was kind of showery. It was Effectively, Argentina really was doing an exceptionally good imp- impression of Wales. So perhaps that where the circuit of Wales uh, MotoGP should actually go is Argentina. Because, of course, actually, there are a huge number of Welsh people in Argentina. Hence the reason the man called Brown was in the centre-back for the Argentinian World Cup winning squad, I think. Or he's on the World Cup winning teams uh, many years ago. Anyway, so they all... So, as they came to the grid for the MotoGP, um, it was wet and then it started drying. And the only person who who, who kind of got onto the grid with uh, slick tyres was once again Jack Miller. So he was sitting there going, ha ha, I'm on slick tyres and no one else's. And then one by one, as they got closer and closer to the start of the race, um, the other bikes started wheeling themselves off the grid so they could start from the pit lane or just start somewhere else um, with the slicks. Now, this was a bit of a chaotic situation because eventually everyone had kind of either had wheeled themselves off or was wheeling themselves off. Um, so the only person there was Jack, was Jack Miller. So literally he was just sitting in the air, well, where's everyone gone? And so then the, the, the officials went, no, that's it. No, no, okay, all right. This is a bit confusing for everybody, even us. Uh, we're going to delay the start. So then they had a huge row because officially the people who wheeled off should have started in the pit lane, but every, that means everyone in the pit lane apart from Miller. And so then we had this weird situation where they, they started the race where uh, Jack Miller was in pole position and the rest of the grid lined up um, in grid order, but fo- they'd given him four rows advantage. So like they all run like, on row five uh, and backwards. And then just as they about to get started, suddenly uh, Mark Marquez, you may have heard of him, he's the, the current world champion, I think four time world champion in total, um, stalled his bike. So normally, as you, as you know, if you stall anything uh in uh, motorsport, you get taken off the grid or you get put to the back or they have another warm-up lap. But apparently, he waved to the marshal. The marshal kind of gave him the turny-turny signal for turning it on. And so he decided to get off his bike, push it forward off his pit stall, then push it backwards down the pit lay, so the, uh, the, uh, the, the grid, um, to bump start it again. And remarkably, it bump started, so he, he, he took his start. And everyone was going, we can't do that. You're going to get a drive-through. So off they started, and uh, it was a very tricky circuit. It was you know, faster on slicks, but a lot of wet patches. And we saw, um, very unfortunately, I think Johan Zarka, I think it was, just touched uh, Danny Pedroza on the first or second lap. And Pedroza went off, and unfortunately, he's broken his arm, which isn't very good for him. Was, he, but effectively, what happened was, he just, it was a kind of dry racing line. And if you got nudged off it, suddenly you were on a wet bit, in which case you were a passenger. And unfortunately, it high-sided Pedroza off. And then after about four laps, with um, it still sorting itself out, um, though it was interesting that up the front was, was Miller and people like that. Uh, and Rins, in fact, was doing very well. Uh, about four laps, we got this thing saying ride-through penalty for Mark Marquez for his um, his pit lane, his, his grid infringement. So he comes in. Okay. And, and the interesting thing about the, the grid there is, is is because it's a very, very tight um, pit lane, they'd actually reduced the speed of the pit speed and they'd made it a longer run. So this was like a really, re- you know how like a drive-through penalty at Silverson's actually an advantage? Uh, Let me guess like what's a- going to happen here. He didn't know that the pit lane speed had been reduced. He went to the normal pit lane speed and got another drive-through. No, no, no. No, he just took an absolute eternity and he popped out i think either dead last or just in head of one person and at this point he's a fast person so he sets about working his way through the field unfortunately he starts off by punting off um i think alex one of the, one of the esperagos he just he just goes in too sharp in the corner and 
bangs him out of the way. He, he falls off and then he gets told, well, yeah, you've got, you got to give a couple more places back. So then he has this same situation of Marcus looking over his shoulder and looking back and waiting and trying to give people. And then it got two people to overtake him. And then he, and then he gradually crawled up the front of the uh, through, but he was he, overtaking. I think what the word was um, ill-advisedly and aggressively giving the conditions. Um, and he yeah, was, was causing a lot of problems. At the front, we had a four-way battle for the lead. So it was uh, Miller, um, Zarco, Rins, and uh, Cal Clutchto. And then um, the key thing that uh, was, as, as his comeback ride was going better and better for Marquez, so he was upset everyone already. He was up to, I think, seventh or sixth. Um, he decided he was going to try and overtake Valentino Rossi. And coming into the penultimate corner, uh, he, he basically came up the inside of him where there wasn't a gap, pushed him, and um, because it then hit a wet patch, um, Rossi kind of went very just slowly drifted to the outside of the track, hit a lo- and then landed on wet grass and fell off. Uh, and he carried on going. So basically, he punted off uh, Rossi just for being an idiot. So uh, he was, I think, about this point, he, was, he, he, he literally was the persona on grass for the entire MotoGP field. A great race up the front uh, resulted in Cal Crutchrow winning his third GP in a superbly measured victory saving his tyres at the end I think I can't remember second I think, I think it was Zarco from Rins it might have been Miller but there's a mixture of those four in the top three uh, and then um, then uh, obviously Rossi was furious and saying that he you know, destroyed MotoGP and he had no respect for anybody which in fairness actually he didn't seem to have any it, it, it would given this one race evidence say yeah not his greatest hour and then he got slapped with a 30 second uh, penalty for knocking everyone off and ended up 18 so Marquez ended up with no points Rossi ended up with no points and Carl Cotter is leading the world championship and there's been a huge amount of rows and ramifications and there was even a row at the post-race press conference because none of the journalists bothered turning up for it because they were too busy trying to get Marquez and, and Rossi having a row and Carl Cotter got really upset there was no one there to report on his win so literally and that is one-tenth of the action it was a absolute fest of racing and stupidity and law-breaking and organizer confusing confusement it was just everything happening at once and the net result is that um, people who love rossi love him more and people who hate marquez hate him more and um the other thing is that uh jorge lorenzo is still rubbish has marquez apologized he tried to apologise. He tried to go down to apologise to Vante Rossi in you know, 10 minutes afterward in the heat of the moment. But um, uh, Mr. Rossi was having none of it and was uh, having a bit of a... Uh, um, has taken every opportunity to call it disrespectful. And um, uh, I don't know, are we allowed to say... Well, I'll say anyway, slagging him off, basically. There was a very funny video I saw on a well-known um, personal-based website, sharing website, um, which was a compilation of the number of times that Marquez have knocked people off and then walked down to apologise to them. And there were a lot. So this is not a first offence. But let's be honest about this. It wouldn't be a first offence either for, for Rossi. But in fairness, um, Marquez did drive like a complete idiot. Very fast, but like a complete idiot. Um, and deserved what he got. Um, Will we see any more uh, penalties for him in the future? Um, I don't really know. I mean, I think, I think, I think people are trying to draw a line under it, really, because it's not, it's not obviously what... Most GP wants to sell at the moment, but um, this card's marked. I mean, the thing about Marquez, I don't think he cares, and it's been evident. You know, he is incredibly talented, he's incredibly quick, he's incredibly ruthless, which is the thing you need to be the world champion. But sometimes, as with all incredibly quick and incredibly ruthless racing drivers, and I can think of a couple of Germans in uh, one a few years ago and one even last year, occasionally they go a bit too far. And it was a bit too far meeting for uh, or race day for, for Marquez. But I'm sure this will be, you know, 
the net effect is though, you know, it's, it's, it's given us an interesting leader of the championship. Dovizioso, who was, you know, his main rival Marquez, I think for the overall thing this year, uh, didn't have a great race, but score still, still score points. So it, it keeps it, it championship interesting and open. And we have a British leader of the world championship. The first time is Barry Sheen. Are we going to see, um, Rossi and Marquez and, I'm not going to say Lorenzo, but who's going to threaten Cal Crutchlow now? Uh, well, obviously, I think Marquez is still massively quicker than um, in a number of situations. Um, you kind of think he, he will um, win enough races to get past him. And obviously, any races where the Honda is strong, he's on a Honda as well as Crutchlow, and he'll be quicker than Crutchlow. Any race where the Honda is weak, he'll be quicker again. So it's not even like with as with Dovioso, where he's got a different bike with different strengths and weaknesses. You can say, right, okay, you can make an argument, Dovioso, oh, which he had an easier name to say, Andrea. Um, That's why people call act- him Dovi, isn't it? It's, it yeah. It's, it's just too many, it's just a combination of I's and O's. Um, yeah, he may, you can make an argument, oh, well, there's enough tracks which will which will uh, suit the uh, Ducati to enable him to, uh, to to build up a lead. So this was a race which Honda was supposed to do well at, so it is a loss for Marquez. It's certainly not helped his reputation. Whether he cares, I don't know. Uh, Jorge Lorenzo, where's he going in 2019, apparently? Well, I read this today, and I thought that's a bit of a punt, because apparently Suzuki want him, but I would have thinking I'm surprised anybody wants him, but currently he's running so far at the back of everywhere. You're not his biggest fan, though, are you? No, but I mean, he obviously when he was running, when he had those good years at Yamaha, he was doing, he was doing particularly well. But he's, he has think about Lorenzo, good and mad. Whether he's got a good bike or a bad bike, he does have an issue in the wet. He doesn't mind wet. He doesn't mind dry. He's just not a confident rider in drying conditions. So that's a limitation um, which the others don't have. Obviously, since his his move to um, Ducati, he just found the, the bike completely unsuiting to him. And uh, he's just getting nowhere fast. I think he said, uh, you know, he got he was fifteenth, um, and he was fifteenth on a on, in a race where a number of people were, were punted off by Marquez, and Marquez got disqualified. He was still only fifteenth, so um, you know that's probably about a net twentieth really of people who knew who, who shouldn't have been fallen off if it hadn't been for Marquez. Um, so it was an absolute terrible performance. But uh, yeah, he's still a three-time world champion. So you know, perhaps that's what Suzuki wants for him. Perhaps they just feel that they, they, they can love him. Um, They're heading cool. north of the equator next, aren't they? Uh, where are they going? They're going to game? the Circuit of the Americas. Oh, it's America. I thought, thought, thought by, by now they had one of their 11 races in Spain. Up to Austin. There's another Honda track just in Austin, so let's see if Marquez can get his uh, show on the road in this one. Who's unlikely to do well there? Pedroza, he's broken his arm. Yeah, his um, wrists, yes. Yeah, yeah the, that was when he was punted off by... I'm going to say Zarka, and I apologise, I've got the wrong person for that, but there's so much going on. You know how normally in a race you can remember the, the, you can remember the ins well there were probably 25 to 30 real incidents in that race so i can't remember every single one of them who did what to whom the results are there though, yeah, he's broken his wrist which is, which is very unlucky for the for, for Jesus, you know, as he has had his fair share of being knocked about and this is almost certainly you know everyone seems to think this is going to be his last year uh honda uh searching about for uh, you know, a, a new number two and people like zarko mentioned because zarko isn't going to want to stay with tech three now they're going to ktm so uh well, we're going to ktm next year as a ktm satellite bike so um yeah i mean i think it's uh uh a shame for, for pedroza but yeah i mean he, he would have, i don't know it is who's going to ride the second works honda because that would be a, a, a theoretically a point scoring race a bike but or sorry a podium bike but i suspect they'll get one of the japanese test riders on it and therefore it'll come out ninth or perhaps 11th and um, before we leave two wheels some sad news about bruce anstey this week i don't know this so you have to tell me 
that he's had a recurrence of his cancer, which oh, yeah. uh, means he's going to miss the TT this year. I didn't realise that. Oh. Well, I wish him all the best for a speedy and full recovery. Uh, let's move on to Formula One. And if MotoGP Yay! had an exciting race at the weekend, then yes. Formula One must have had a dull one with not a single incident worthy of talking about. No, let's go. Move on, move on. Nothing to see here. Well, no, because obviously after the, uh, the not particularly exciting Australian Grand Prix, uh, everyone said F1 is broken. It's a nightmare. It's terrible. It's awful. We must change everything. And then we had um, a very entertaining and action-packed and overtaking-packed uh, Bahrain Grand Prix. And everyone's going, it's fine. It's marvellous. It's great. Uh, we're going to China this weekend. And that's also quite good for overtaking. So it'll be fine again. And then things will go wrong when we get to uh, Spain and Monaco. <laughs> Surely a lot of the overtaking was down to the fact that uh, Lewis Hamilton was out of uh, position on the grid. Well, yeah, I mean, he was overtaken as well, remember. He was overtaken by uh, Fernando Alonso on that one. He was almost overtaken uh, by Max Verstappen, which obviously started the first of the uh, the number of, um, uh, well, it's not really controversial. I mean, the, the, the thing was really, that, yeah, we, we came out of Australia quite convinced that the McLaren, McLaren keeps on it, the Mercedes was the fastest car and they were going to have a, a, a sizable advantage. Well, it wasn't going well on Friday because Ferrari was faster. And then we found out that Lewis had to have a gearbox change. And they do get through a lot of gearboxes at Mercedes for some reason. This time it's because they had a hydraulic leak um, during the uh, during the race mm-hmm. and it was damaged. So he got so he hit fireplace grid penalty. So the best he could start was sixth. Uh, Ferrari continued being the fastest car um, throughout the weekend and they qualified well. And um, Lewis didn't do very well in his final lap of qualifying. And even Bottas got in front of him. So he ended up being ninth. So a lot of work to do. Uh, um, off he went. He made a reasonable start. In fact, everyone made a reasonable start, but he just got blocked in. And, and, and remarkably, up until that corner five, everyone got round all right until Hartley hit Perez. Um, and then he, he, even, he, he dropped it, even dropped a position down back behind Alonso. So he actually ran around 10th at the end of the first lap. And then um, he got past Alonso. And, and uh, along came uh, Max Verstappen, thinking, you know, I need a bit of this. And Max got up behind you know, with, the, with the horribly underpowered Renault, uh, managed to get up behind him and uh, drag him down the straight with a bit of DRS, uh, but slightly overcooked turn one. Um, and with Alonso to his right and uh, uh, Lewis to his left, I mean, he didn't have anywhere to go. Lewis couldn't go anywhere without getting off the track. And he had what's commonly known as a absolute fine example of a racing incident where th- there was nowhere for one driver to go. The other driver had nowhere to go either. And um, the punk- tyre got punctured. Uh, and it was kind of 50-50. Near. In, in those events, you can lose a tyre or, or the other, or the person behind can lose a bit of wing or nothing can happen or both can happen. And this time it was, it was Verstappen who lost it. And, uh, you know, he uh, therefore uh, had a puncture. He ran it on the rim and he destroyed the differential and he was out. Uh, he also had the, the joy of being called, well, we can't use in a radio programme by... Um, uh, Lewis, which is, I think was perfectly fine re- reaction after the race because you'll be upset about things. However, I just think it was, it was just a you know an overtaking move went wrong. I think it's one of these things. Nothing to see here, and the Dutch press are particularly trying to make a major thing about it. But it's just one of those things. It's just one of those things. You know, it has happened in races. Anyway, we went trundled along, and as, and as Verstappen is uh, is retiring, he actually drives past his teammate who's also retired, which is Ricardo with a power store failure. Not which, their greatest weekend, Red Bull, was it? No, not really. So I'm obviously a power store failure. Is that similar to Maplin's going bust? You know, um, <laughs> but um, the uh, they had, no, they had a terrible weekend, and, and you know they 
I think we'll, we'll come back to Verstappen in a second. But uh, then we had the a, a, a very impressive, though perhaps visually very impressive, though possibly, possibly not actually that unbelievably amazing, I would say, where Lewis took three people on one straight um, because he uh, effectively got a, a triple toe behind, um, it was, was it Magnussen, Hulkenberg, I want to say Magnussen, Hulkenberg and Alonso, but it might be different people. And he got past all three of them at once. So I think he went from ninth to sixth, or probably ninth to fifth in one, in one couple of corners. And then, then he was just behind, then he got to fourth because then he got past Pierre Gasly doing an amazing job with the Honda. And at that point, he was in fourth, really, and that was it, because that was as far as he could get. And then the contra, then they had this whole contra strategy thing, which, and which was a clever move by uh, Mercedes, but probably still would have only got Lewis into fourth. Um, and then we had a very, very, very unfortunate incident where um, there was an unsafe release for Raikkonen, and then he uh, ended up breaking the leg, unfortunately, of one of the pit guys. So that then put. Um, Fettel onto a strategy where he couldn't come in, and he managed to nurse his tyres brilliantly to the end and win the race. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of look at winners and losers. And obviously, massive winner is, is, is Fettel. And in many ways, you know, making the best of a bad job, despite, you know, sounding a bit angsty on the radio, was Lewis. Third from ninth, in the, you know, is you know, a very good performance. He was massively helped by both Red Bulls imploding, and obviously he was helped by the fact that Ferrari um, managed to knock out their own... Um, other driver with a, with a mistake. Interesting, the man in second, Valtteri Bottas, I feel had a has had another damage to his reputation because he was tracking down um, Fettel with a couple of laps to go and just wasn't aggressive enough to make the move or have a go at the move in the last couple of laps. And it's this lack of killer instinct, and 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 yeah, we, we saw him. I think very much stuck behind people in in Australia and not making the progress here and not really being a capable wingman has kind of i think is, is massively undermining his um worth and i think the chances now of bottas being retained for next year are very very slim to nil because you look at the other drivers who are available and you think well you know, ricardo is going to be available would he be a better number two or even an equal number one thousand yes he would you know he's got that killer instinct and valtteri he's a you know he's a done a solid job but he's not now things are close he's not doing the uh, the thing that uh, mercedes need which is you know, which is when they have a good weekend qualifying second and blocking everyone else and he's not doing the thing that when they uh, when they're having a bad weekend of actually taking the opportunity to actually get past the ferrari so he is a man who kind of think well you know he's de- you know we're two races in and he desperately needs to sort himself out because he will lose his job you know ferrari are also thinking about what they're going to do regarding um uh, Raikkonen, because Raikkonen again, though, actually has been pretty good the first two races of the year, despite what I said in the, pre- in, the in the preview. He's doing then, it despite um, you, Nick. I think basically, I think he listened to that when, yeah, bah, that damn Nick. That was Do you it. think he could be bothered to listen to a podcast? Uh, it depends if it was laced with vodka. Um, otherwise, no. Um, but yeah, so it's a uh, it, uh, yeah. So, so you said the Bottas was one of the big losers. I think also another big loser, Verstappen. Verstappen, you know, who's come, who's who. who Red Bull have staked that, you know, put their money on the on the on on the on the little kid, paying him fortunes just to to keep his loyalty. <coughs> Sorry, before he keeps his loyalty, and he's had two terrible races. He's had two bad events. You know, he threw it away in Australia with you know trying too hard too early, spun it, took out and destroyed the back of his car when he went over curbs. In this one, he apparently had a power surge which took him off in qualifying, and now people are saying. 
that's not possible. Now, it might just be um, people having a bit of a go, saying you know, that's just made up. Um, and then, of course, he went over over aggressive onto Lewis um, and effectively ruined his race when perhaps he should have waited and, 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 and looked a bit more mature. So he's already in trouble. If he wants to win the World Championship, he's already 50 points behind Sebastian Vettel. So, you know, it's it's a combination of things. And he's been moaning all this time about, oh, being let down by poor reliability. Well, he's let the team down twice in a row now. And his star, which he's he's been cut so much slack because he's been mm-hmm. new and fun and great and aggressive and fabulous. And, you know, it gets to the point where people start expecting you to deliver. And this year they were expecting you to deliver. And so far he has really failed to do, to do anything. Who was uh, the worst of the French drivers in the race? The worst of the French drivers? Yes. What, finishing position? Yes. Oh, I don't know. Actually, I think, I think it was uh, Grosjean, wasn't it? It is I, Leclerc. <laughs> I knew we'd get that one in. <laughs> yes, well, who's the worst driver at Sauber at the moment? Well, yes. Well, well, well the thing is... Can I play it again? Out of sight. Yeah, go on. Who is the... Who, no, I'll ask you. Who is it the is worst I, driver at Sauber? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the thing was, there were two really, really, really outstanding performances out of the, out of the top level. And the first one... Um, was Pierre Gasly who had a brilliant weekend to finish fourth with the Honda and probably just give you know all the smugness that McLaren had after the double failure in Australia has been evaporated in one race meeting and the other person who was absolutely really did really really well this weekend was Marcus Ericsson you know kind of off forgotten um relegated as just a, a you know a little pay driver and you know and only there because he's um linked him with Longbow, who owned the team. And obviously there's a big argument whether they should take Giovinazzi. Well, he's just driven really well. In two races, he's really maximised that very difficult car. And he's made, uh, he's made Charles... It is I, Leclerc. There we go. Uh, It is I, Leclerc. (laughs) Uh, And obviously he is getting also cut a bit of slack, but he's also getting... Have I muted myself? You have not, no. I can still hear you because my head just went beep uh, so um, he's made Leclerc look, look thoroughly ordinary which is um, a surprise to everybody but you know it is, it is new and, and I think the Sauber is not an easy car to start with so, what do you think uh, Marcus Ericsson's success is down to um, well he says he's lost some weight yes he's gone on a diet uh, he's lost five, five kilograms uh, by having no desserts and no alcohol. He said it was difficult. I can imagine. If you think about it, that's that's, that's all that Kimi Raikkonen eats: ice cream and vodka. Um, but I mean, I think I think I think Eric's has been maligned, and I think I said this last year a couple of times. I think he gets maligned um, much as Pedro Zanias used to get maligned for just being a pure pay driver. You know, he wasn't comprehensively outperformed by Pascal Verlaine in a terrible car last. year year when everyone said Pascal Verlein was the next coming thing he's you know holding his own against um Charles and obviously we, we expect that to to ebb and flow a bit. Uh, but the car's difficult I think you know he has got a huge amount of experience he's done a lot of races and it probably you know even when you're trolling around the back in a pile of rubbish you still learn a lot about how to get how to set a car up and how to handle a car so and more important the cars at the back have had less downforce so they would have been more unpredictable so you know, I think he, very, he can be very proud of his two races, much as much as you know, Magnussen, Magnussen is doing a brilliant job as well. Completely destroyed um, Grosjean in both races, both events so far. And you, know, you think that it's very likely that Haas may keep one of their two drivers next year. Suddenly, it's it's, it's K Mag is locking the points. So it's been, a, you know, it's been a great weekend for a number of drivers. 
And other people who got to look to their laurels. Carlos Sainz not keeping up with Hulkenberg, which is a real surprise. Brendan Hartley nowhere near Gasly. It's, yeah, we're used to having teammates, you know, who are you know, measured by an, a hair's breadth. But the only two teammates who are doing similarly are Sorokin and Stroll, who are both absolutely appalling. And perhaps Ocon and uh, Perez, who both just wish it was last year. But every other team... Or the year before. Yeah, exactly. You've got huge gaps in performance between the drivers. You know, you, you, you start at the top, and even, you know, you get to Red Bull. And Ricardo, brilliant. Verstappen, terrible, you know. And it's it's really interesting that, that we aren't getting this two-by-two two days. They, they've, they've eased themselves this year. And even though we've had two races, we've had two really interesting and difficult, different races. We've got a few days to wait for China. China normally is grey and miserable and horrible, but has plenty of overtaking. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens there and whether Ferrari's pace that they had in Bahrain will uh, emerge again in China. If it will, then it's going to be a situation where uh, Mercedes had a good old scratchy thinky time um, if they don't want to see the first, the five-time world champion and be a German rather than a German car. I also think that the Sambo is actually a much better car than people expected it to be. I think what, what Sam said, in, and I think if you get a chance, you go and listen to, to get, get, if you, I know it's with two races in, go and listen to the preview because A, it shows how we've got things wrong, got things right, but also Sam has some quite interesting insight into the cars. And one of the things he did say was that he said the Sauber was a really, really clever but really complicated concept and a new concept. And therefore, they are working it out as they go along. And therefore, they have a huge amount of potential to get it right but also with all these things, the human potential get it wrong. I think they're slowly getting nearer and nearer and nearer. You know, they're not starting with, with something that's just a lame duck. They're starting with something that just isn't set up properly or tuned up properly. So they do have a kind of ability, I think, to um, get the thing moving forward. But yeah, what, what, what they really need is, is, you know, is two weeks of testing, which you don't get anymore. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a, good, a good performance. I think Sauber themselves have got a couple of points. We'll be chuffed with that. They'll want to try and perhaps pick up another couple of points, you know, through attrition, whatever it may be, before we get back to Barcelona. Of course, we have got a race in Azerbaijan prior to that, which isn't really Europe, is it? Is that a flyaway? I don't know whether the truck's going to They definitely there. fly there, but uh, some people would say it was still in Europe. Well, the people who are trying to, trying to say, who say it was European Grand Prix, I was B. Ecclestone Esquire. Um, would say that, but uh, yeah, we wouldn't. But yeah, so I think I think it's um it's a, a an interesting, very interesting poised championship, and I think that yeah we have we no one well basically we predicted two Ferrari wins. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happened if uh, Hamilton hadn't had the penalty, in which case he probably would have started third, or and and whether that would make any difference. Whether when they were fighting the front in that way and they were all on the very similar strategy, it would have been any different because definitely the, the race pace of the Mercedes was much better. A lot of which apparently may be down to the fact that Ferrari have a little bit of a drink problem with their car, and they have to do a lot more fuel saving during the race than uh, Mercedes do. And they were helped by a couple of laps of virtual safety car as well, but they were still, you know, in fuel saving mode for, for quite a long part, a long part of that, an early part of the uh, the race. Uh, what good news do the Americans have? Well, yes, fantastic news. They, they, ESPN, who were derided as being the worst F1 provider in the history of F1 providers, you know, um, were suddenly uh, went advert free, and they, which in America must have been, you know, a bit like having a communist elected president, you know, so unlikely. Um, they, uh, they, 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 they ran the whole race, um, as do Sky, as do Channel Four, and the commercial stations. That's right, the UK stations without adverts. So RTL should learn that there's seven minute breaks they have, including. 
two minutes of promos for other shows. Uh, um, so, yeah, and they're, apparently they're going to advert free the entire season. So that must be costing F1 some money or perhaps, you know, it's not costing, perhaps, you know, ESPN are, getting, are literally getting it for nothing. So they can make the money they need to make from the adverts at the front and the back. And given that it's on early in the morning, then, uh, or for most of the year it's on early in the morning, uh, they're not losing a lot of ad revenue anyway. No. So it's, it's time a, of day when nobody was... Uh, when when else are you going to buy yourself a, a gutter brush or um, a home fitness gym that you'll use twice and put under the bed for the rest of its life? Yes. One, one of those things that uh, looks like a um, child's toy but is actually supposed to... Uh, Make your stomach flat. Uh, let's move on to this. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, this pointless press release um, yes. comes from uh, an organisation calling itself Vatican Media. Okay. Right, so that would be affiliated to the Catholic Church, or actually be the Catholic Church. This is the press office for the Pope. <laughs> is he buying a new? Is he turbocharging or hybridizing the Pope mobile? Uh, he's very close to that because uh, it is about oh, okay. um, uh, cars, obviously. Uh, no, he's yes. uh, he's been doing some blessings. Really, apostolic is he, blessings. Is he blessing the barge boards on the uh, on the Ferrari or something? Not on a Ferrari, no. What's it, what's, what what is what is that cheeky little pontiff been up to? Uh, he's blessed uh, a Formula E car. Hey, oh yes, because they're at Rome this weekend, aren't they? And half of the grid. Which half? Presumably the Catholic ones. Right, so that'd be the Brazilians. Um... I didn't know the half the group of cat. Well, it's fine. I'm, um, well, that's that's that. Isn't it a bit unfair? Shouldn't they? They're all God's children. They should all be, you know, allowed to have equal equal. Is it is it like the world's best fan boost being uh, blessed by God? <laughs> uh, yes, presumably he's not uh, in a position to uh, phone up and vote uh, for them. Should they have phones? Uh, I'm sure he does have phones, yes. Uh, Imagine you've got to drive into confession. <laughs> I'm not really the best. I'm not really that fast. <laughs> I did crash. It wasn't a 150 horsepower power boost from nowhere. <laughs> I've just noticed, uh, which is why I'm a little distracted, Alan Prosser Yaw. on Twitter. Uh, do you remember how we ended last week's show? Uh, with, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Um, it, it's uh, on on this day in 1972. It's the first broadcast of it on Radio Four. Really? Yeah. Wow. I thought it'd been going longer than that. Well, 1972 is still 46 years. Yes, that's uh, older than me. It is quite a long. Does it? So it's only been going all your life. That's a long time. It hasn't been going all my life, but there we are. For I am very old. Yes. I've, I've noticed on the on the Skype that uh, Mr. Goodwin is throwing in a great number of puns, including formula ecumenical. Yes. <laughs> and he also says you could tell it was the old car because there was no halo visible. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <clears throat> Nick Damon, thank you very much uh, for joining us tonight. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I, 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 we will I'm not s- have to read out any more of... Uh, 
any more Hope. Graham Goins puns, I'm afraid, uh, because oh. Graham Goodwin is going to join us live next from uh, wherever he is, Paul Rickard, uh, where this weekend uh, it's the opening round of the European Le Mans series. Uh, but before that, there's been a lot of testing going on at uh, Paul Rickard. Good evening, Graham. Can you hear me? I hope you can hear me, Tim. I certainly can. Uh, so let's work backwards here. Today has been the prologue of the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Uh, it was a toss-up between Michelin Le Mans Cup and the World Powerboat Championship. I have to excuse the bleeping in the background. Our pizzas are ready. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been biblically awful weather over the last couple of days here at uh, Paul Ricard. So uh, yeah, John, Johnny Cup. Palmer's plan of uh, going to the south of France ahead of the uh, weekend so he could spend a couple of days on the beach. Of, well, uh, he could spend a couple of days on the beach, but the beach, I think, is making its way up the uh, up the mountain towards us. It, it really is terrible, terrible weather. Um, we've had, uh, we were actually lucky, I think, to get any track action today at all, Tim. Um, and certainly it was more or less abandoned with two hours to go in the afternoon. But uh, the, the prediction this morning was up to four inches of rain today. Uh, it's that bad. Uh, and we are now looking out onto the terrace of our little villa here, uh, up in the, the hills uh, beyond, bet- between the uh, circuits and the sea. Looking and it is quite difficult. Pool, which wasn't there well, yesterday. It- well, we have got a swimming pool, but it's quite difficult to tell which bit's terrace and which bit's swimming pool, to be honest with you. And we're actually now getting quite worried about the cat. The cat? Oh, the, have, the villa does come cat. with a It does come with a cat. Okay. Uh, so, very few cars have uh, circulated at Paul Ricard today. Uh, no, 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 no. They all circulated in part two. Okay. Yes, yep. So, 29 cars for the Michelin Amon Cup. Uh, which is, uh, I think, a goodly number. 22 LMP3 cars, uh, seven uh, GT cars, and, uh, you know, nice variety, some good names on that list. But uh, all in all, across the week so far, and we have been here for almost a week, uh, it's well over 100 cars have been uh, out there across Michelin Le Mans Cup. Previous two days was the LMS, and before that, of course, the FIWC. But uh, good entries in all three. Um, so plenty of storylines in all three. Um, and plenty more to come as as the as the kind of the season begins to wind out. And of course, part of what I know is a packed weekend on Radio Show Limited channels uh, will be uh, the European Le Mans series, the and uh, the Michelin Le Mans Cup, the opening race weekend, effectively of the ACO rules uh, season uh, from Saturday onwards and, and Sunday for the LMS, their first four-hour race of the year. Uh, yes, uh, other things coming up on uh, the Radio Show Limited network this weekend. We have uh, the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, which is at Long Beach in California. We'll be talking to John and Shay about that in the second hour of the show. Uh, and also, uh, Paul Trustwell and Bruce Jones uh, have a qualifying race for the Nürburgring 24 Hours to yeah. uh, look forward to on Sunday. Uh, so, Nürburgring 24 Hours qualifying race is on RS1. Uh, IMSA is on uh, RS2, IMSA Radio, and uh, ELMS will be on RS3. Having said that, the Michelin Le Mans Cup will also be on RS1. So, uh, Graham, you and Johnny will be channel hopping. We we I, we get we do that a lot, and I'll be channel hopping afterwards because uh, not long after the race, we're going to be heading our way back to the channel with the DSC fun bus. 
a lot cheaper to actually come down here this year with uh, airfares soaring and frankly I'm glad we did that with the lots of strikes that are around France on transport networks so we, we chose correctly for once uh, as uh, to I how to see get one, uh, one driver tweeting that uh, his uh, Air France flight had been uh, cancelled and he was uh, having to get fly to Milan and drive up Lovely. Well, it has to be said, we've got very little by way of no shows here. Um, it has been a lot of track action. I think we'll be playing, playing catch up with news and feature content from here for about a month. And I'm, I'm barely kidding, is the honest answer. Lots and lots of news strands to come uh, from all three of the championships uh, that we've uh, we've been witnessing on track doing their testing. Um, you know, it does take something to when I can actually honestly tell you that I just rather I didn't hear a V8 for about <laughs> a week. Uh, but there's been a lot of track action uh, over the last uh, last few days, including remember the uh, the WEC, which was a 30-hour test, first time we've done that with the uh, with the WEC. Following on from that, of course, two days with the LMS cars and. 45 cars taking to the track for that test 36 cars sorry 35 cars for the wec over the weekend so there's been a heck of a lot of miles covered and i would guess that uh, the gibson technicians over with us of course from repton in derbyshire uh, not only with their p2 engines but of course the the, the public debut with their p1 engines um, and uh, they've got one heck of a lot of data to crunch is my guess uh who is based on that 30 hour test who's got the best reliability um well lots of good reliability it has to be said from well i think the big big story i think almost certainly is lmp1 where where are toyota compared to the the new non-hybrid cars the answer is we had a couple of very new cars that were working their way through some of those uh those reliability niggles amongst those the Gibson engined um, uh, BR1 from uh, from Dragon Speed, brand new. Uh, we had the debut of the Rebellion, the Orica-based Rebellion, with its new TVR branding, and the Gibson engine in the rear of that. That car uh, put in a lot of miles. The SMP uh, Delara uh, designed and built BR1s with the AR engine, put a lot of miles and were very quick. Uh, both the Toyotas very reliable and very quick until it was revealed that uh, those cars were effectively running unrestricted until 5pm on the first day and after that they were suspiciously slow Tim what can I sell you mm. suspiciously slow and, and actually slower than the uh, the quickest of the two Ginettas one of which was completed the garage managed to get out just for a, a lap before the end of the first 8 hour session then opted to run at night um, and put in uh, rather more mileage but uh, they're still putting mileage on those cars. The encouraging thing, forget Toyota for a moment, we can come to that, uh, you know, brief discussion about that, I'm sure, in a moment or two, is that the the non-hybrid LMP1s are pretty close together on speed for a goodly chunk of the uh, the, the test. 0.6 of a second separated um, all bar that brand new Ginetta that was, was literally completed in the garage. And at the end of the test, they were still pretty close together. And we were finding speed, and I think that was clearly the point of what Toyota were attempting to do uh, by not declaring they were running running uh, unrestricted, um, that uh, it did tease some more pace out of both of the SMP cars and the Rebellion, which was remarkably quick for a brand-new car. Uh, but despite that, 
it was still pretty close between the lot of them, including, I'm delighted to say, the Bicolus, which with uh, what is effectively a pretty new uh, Nismo uh, Turbo 6 in the back of that car, had both pace and reliability and some you know some good names actually looking like they might be part of that um that project which may may feature a second car at some point later this season toyota so let's go back they've to got toyota, yeah they've, they've got an advantage no doubt they've got an advantage my estimation is somewhere between half and one and a half seconds on the road there is controversy about what's going on in the background about uh, they've certainly got an advantage in the pits over a stint, they uh, they will get something like five seconds quicker in the pits from the non-hybrid cars, simply because of the time it will take the fuel to get into the cars. Average that out across a stint, and that's probably somewhere around half a second a lap for the uh, the Toyotas there as well. So they're going to make, I, I think, somewhere between half a second on track and half a second off track. They've got about a second advantage in terms of speed. They've got an advantage in terms of reliability. But it's fair to say, you can look at it one or two ways. Either they're maximising their political clout, or they're actually worried about the, pro- the, uh, the speed of these, the potential speed of the non-hybrid cars, because there is certainly a lot of leverage being applied to maximise any possible advantage they could get. Just mm-hmm. have to be quite careful here that what we don't get to is that that's leveraged to the point where it's a ridiculous advantage on track. That, you know, that we don't actually get any possibility of good racing. They know they have to be reliable. But what we don't want to see, of course, I'm sure Toyota would love to see it, is them just romping away. There is not a lapse advantage in a stint, nothing remotely close to it. But there is certainly a performance advantage for the Toyotas coming into the season. It'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. Why did uh, Toyota say that they were running... Uh, with a illegal car for the first day. Well, they told us after they'd done it. I think is the key. They said it was to do with a new cooling system. That makes perfect sense. What doesn't make sense, if you're being completely straight about it, is not telling us you're doing it until after you've done it. So, in other words, everybody is left to believe, other than of course the the uh, the uh, championship organisers who will have been briefed that they're allowed to do this in a test, but they need to tell them what they're doing. Uh, but the only reason it makes sense to tell you afterwards is if you're trying to tease something else out of the opposition. And I think they were clearly looking to put a bit of a shock on people, see what actually that teased out in terms of the uh, the team's tactics. But uh, probably the most interesting response came from Stefan Sarazan, who told a number of people when they cared to ask that it was Toyota playing games. Uh, I'm sure that was the case. Pascal Vasselon is, you know, the archdeacon of, uh, you know, of, of, of these kind of tactics to try to do what he can to leverage what he's got both in terms of technical and in terms of the political, and I think he did that extremely well. And Sarazan would certainly know that. Uh, he most certainly would know that. Um, so, yeah, it, it, all in all, interesting. Not a, not a huge number of conclusions finally reached yet, because what we don't know yet is what, what's going to come out of not what we hear on track, but what we hear behind the scenes. There were technical meetings in place, both about equivalence of technology what we might see at Le Mans, but also about what we might see come 2020, 2021 with the new regulations. And there's a lot more to come on that front. ACO making it clear they believe they're pretty close to a solution. Uh, Lots of machinations amongst the media pack that uh, just, I think, uh, uh, just enjoying pulling the tail of the, uh, the ACO and 
and the WEC and IMSA, for that matter, on this front as to what might come out. Looks like the proposal is a pretty firm one. It's going to be a pretty mild hybrid. Uh, putting the the, uh, the the dots on the I's and the crossing the T's, it would seem to be there is some kind of proposal that involves a single supplier tender for that system but that any manufacturer will be allowed to match performance or the weight or any any uh, number of parameters for that system if they want to actually produce their own system so it might be for instance you're allowed to actually put in uh, something that matches that performance but it could be lighter but you then have to ballast it and it's up to you that uh, we don't know this yet but this is this i think as part of the presumption of what might come out of that but we're not going to see those towering hybrid systems on those car cars that we saw in the previous indeed the current iteration of them and certainly nothing like what we've seen in the other hybrid that's been making news this week uh, that used to be an lmp1 car tim uh, before we move away from uh, WEC, uh, we could be seeing a LMP1 car from China in the future, according to David Cheng. Uh, yeah, well, that's going to be interesting. David Cheng's been very quiet since uh, since the adventures of the team at um, at Daytona. Not been seen or heard much, but uh, Stephen Kilby from DSC sat down with David. Another story to come from from that uh, that interview. Uh, tomorrow around the whys, the wherefores, the ifs, buts, maybes about what might happen or not in the United States for Jackie Chan DC Racing. But they are telling us they're getting closer and closer to nailing uh, a potential LMP1 program, uh, which would involve a Chinese OEM, a Chinese manufacturer. Now, there's plenty of choice. I mean, by my last estimation, if you look at uh, manufacturers and and or brands uh, in China, uh, something like 40 to 50 credible uh, motor manufacturers in China, some of which are better known than others. Uh, Great Wall, of course, you know, yeah. uh, uh, Market, MG, uh, Rove, Shanghai uh, Automotive, etc. Geely, who own Volvo. Yeah, um, all of those Automotive, brand, uh, All uh, sorts Guangzhou. of companies. Absolutely. So some of those companies becoming more known on a world stage. And, of course, there's potential here for what's a reasonably accessible uh, method to come and badge an opportunity, badge a chassis, badge an engine in LMP1, which, you know, would be, I think, no sooner than 2019-20. It would make more sense to come forward with new regulations when they arrive for 2020 to 2021 and the 2021 Le Mans 24 hours. So whether or not there might be an opportunity to come and do some sponsorship and some badging in the way that tvr are doing so with rebellion because there is no tvr uh, technical involvement incoming if you like with the rebellion oracle program but uh, it may be made very clear by les edgar as he had done before that uh, the brand um, coming back into making sports cars in the uk does want to come back and do something on the international stage and that's likely to be a gt program but um, yeah, let's wait and see. Lots going on. Still to crystallise a lot of that. Um, yet to see what that means in terms of solid products on the racetrack. Um, but it's clear that, well, reports of the kind of how can we put this, coughing, spluttering death of uh, the FIWC and international sports car racing, in the wake of a tsunami of success from Formula E, has very much yet to emerge. Um, there are lots of people working very, very hard to see what might emerge onto the track in the next year or two. 
what's Porsche been doing with its old LMP1 car? Well, it's parked it up and they don't really want to talk about it. Oh, that's not true at all, is it? No, what they've been doing is a bit at Spa Francorchamps um, with, well, an Evo version, I think we could call it, Tim, of that car. Not, uh, they've certainly effect- not the car as it uh, ran last in a race. No, it's it's about as illegal as an LMP1 car as it possibly could could be. Massive boost in power, something like twelve hundred horsepower from the combined, um, you know, little two-liter V4. Now putting out something like seven hundred and twenty horsepower as opposed to the five hundred in uh, LMP1 trim that it had last. They've taken off all the fuel restriction. Um, the hybrid system, more or less as was. Uh, dramatically different aerodynamics with no headlamps on the car and uh, low, as, low as a low drag thing can be. Big wing hanging out the back like a Peugeot 905 or a Jaguar XGR14. Side skirts as well. And they're going hunting for, well, I'll put this mildly controversially, they're going hunting for Ferrari and Mercedes-AMG's Formula One lap records is what they're doing with what essentially is an Uber LMP1 car. And it has divided opinion on the internet, which, as we all know, is the only place that matters for opinion. Um, It's divided opinion on the internet right down the middle between, my God, that's the coolest thing ever, and my God, that's the most pointless thing in the world. And I have to say, I'm right on the side of, this is cool. If you're not going to come racing in LMP1, and they're not, and I think they felt they'd squeezed as much publicity value as they could from the 919, I'd rather they didn't just chuck it in a museum. I'd rather they did come out and show what you can do with that technology when you take all the regulations off it. It's exactly what GT manufacturers have been telling us for years around both GT3 and GTE that uh, you know it is frustrating when it's restricted back to a performance envelope. It's not going out there and doing it in competition. It is out there and gathering and uh, grabbing headlines. And boy, are they doing that, beating the outright lap record at Spa-Francorchamps set last year in qualifying by Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes Formula One car, beating it by just under a second. Um, my understanding, by the way, is that they were looking for rather more than that. Whether or not they'll have another crack remains to be seen. But 141.770 is the new mark. It's not an official lap record not set in competition. It's not a race lap record. It's not mm-hmm. a qualifying lap record. It is an outright lap record. And that's not the only place we're going to see it. Uh, so let's wait Where and see. Where else are we going to see this car running? Well, so far, we've been told it will run at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Uh, my guess is they will go for the outright hill, rec- hill record there. It will put in, in what is described as a demonstration run at the Nürburgring 24 hours. Now, that's either hugely exciting, I think, which it will be for most people, uh, mildly terrifying, which it will be for others, or really irritating if you're me and you're not going to the Nürburgring 24 hours this year. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think terrifying is a word you'd use for the uh, Goodwood Festival of Speed as well. Anything up that hill that's yes. that size is going to be terrifying. It's, um, it's, it is a, it is a fantastic run, thing. run uh, yeah. makes it sound like what um, they did at Brands Hatch at the end of last year, uh, where uh, effectively Nick Tandy drove it round about 40 miles an hour for a couple of laps and uh, then parked well, it's up going in the to Brands lane. Hatch as well, Tim. It's going, going back. to Oh. It's going to Brands Hatch, and I think it's the. I think I'm right that it might be the full Grand Prix circuit. 
Okay, but I'll double check that. But it's definitely going to Brands Hatch, and it's also going to Rensport Reunion. Ooh. Uh, so there's lots of places where the public will get on to see this thing. And my guess is they're certainly not going to be holding back with that car. Um, whether or not it's going to go for record runs uh, elsewhere, I'm hearing rumours that it might, that, that Spa-Francorchamps might not be the only track it goes out like uh, that record um it's not been declared yet that it's going for some of those but my guess is that's exactly what they'll do um you know you can see the appeal can't you from porsche who let's face it are still rumored to be uh, involved and potentially involved with um you know uh, possible customer engines for formula one in the future to go and grab a few headlines at the expense of their old rivals mercedes why wouldn't you if you've got a car that's capable of doing that? It's, I, I mean, I think the thing's phenomenal. Um, it's not a legal race car. It is a record-breaking car, or it has done that now. And I think there's more to come from it. But um, if you're not going to go racing, go make headlines. Don't put it in the museum yet. Uh, Neil yes. Jarney, I think, was thoroughly enjoying himself. And uh, what was great to see was that there were plenty of race car fans trackside. It wasn't done behind thoroughly closed doors. Um, I was, you know, I wasn't exactly drowning in lots of offers of photographs, but there were plenty of them uh, from DSC readers and Radio Le Mans uh, listeners and motorsport listeners too, uh, with video, you name it, invited people. I get the, the, the angle that people think it's pointless, but the point is a simple one. We can do this with this technology. You know, it's not just about what we could do against Toyota or we could do against Audi. This is the capability of this technology. And now we can show that without the kind of the, the purse strings, without the constraints. And I think that's cool. Uh, last week, we uh, said lots of really nice things about British GT. Uh, this <laughs> week, they've not yes. been covering themselves in glory, have they? They haven't actually uh, had any more races. Um uh, no. And that's part of the problem, isn't well, it? Well, they sort of have. They, they sort of have well, had they a race. Of, they, they've they've, they've yeah. said that something that happened was a race, uh, when uh, this time last week we thought it wasn't. Yeah, so let's explain this one. Uh, beautifully explained without actually explaining anything there, Tim, I thought. Um, so race two, as we explained last uh, last week, was held in the kind of weather conditions we've actually got here in the south of France at the moment, which was biblical uh, downpours at Tilton Park. The problem came is that, uh, with the fact that they started the race behind the safety car. And the safety car led the field around for four laps before the red flag came out and they eventually abandoned that race. The problem is, is that the race director, I suspect, realized with that sinking feeling that you can only get when you've made an absolute howler, that having gone for more than two laps behind the safety car that the regulations as they stand means that you've got to call the results of the race with full points. Um, and that's, that I have to say, is a pretty massive, massive error. Now, I don't know the circumstances of what happened thereafter, but pretty quickly thereafter, I got a couple of messages from a couple of the teams involved to say, this may not be as simple as just abandon and we all go away, shake hands and say there wasn't that a shame, um, that... What actually happened was that the race director effectively referred it to the championship stewards. I think knew at that stage they were in trouble with this one. Um, it doesn't quite end there. 
I'm hearing from a number of the teams as well that when they queried this and said, well, look, come on, why can't we go and have a race into the evening at Snetterton, for instance, when there's time on the uh, on the calendar, we're told, no, 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 the other teams involved uh, won't agree with that. Um, well, of course, these teams know each other. They have made those calls and they say, well, hang on a minute. Our, our belief is that the teams do agree with that. And uh, uh, it's all it's all done. The points have been awarded. Um, it's it's not going to um, uh, be, be recalled as another another race now. And we go into the next round for the British GT Championship with effectively another one, a bit like John and I at Fuji back in uh, 2013, another race that really never was, but full points have been awarded in this instance. Um, and my guess is that there'll be a regulation change before we get round to Okay, Graham Goodwin, uh, your line is starting to break up, so we'll say goodbye to you there. But I believe you'll be joining Johnny Palmer uh, at 8pm tomorrow night on RS3 for our European Le Mans Series season preview. Uh, And, of course, we have the uh, opening round of the European Le Mans Series from Paul Ricard this weekend uh, with qualifying and the race both live uh, here uh, over, in fact, on RS3. Uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup will be on RS1. You're listening to Midweek Motorsports on this uh, Wednesday evening. Uh, it's a tweet from Dennis Bevan uh, showing Pope Francis greeting the owners of three llamas in St. Peter's Square. Uh, three men from the South Tyrol region of northern Italy walked three llamas in a two-month pilgrimage to reach the Vatican. So uh, he's uh, been a busy man, the Pope, this week. Would you like to hear some of my experimental avant-garde poetry? No? Okay then. It's Midweek Motorsport. And still to come. Okay, coming up in the second hour of tonight's programme, we'll be live from here at Long Beach. Uh, keep your questions and comments coming in on at Specutainment. Beautiful day here. Uh, it's Midweek Motorsport on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. And, uh, well, we've got a busy weekend coming up. More about that in hour two. Coming up next. On RS1. It is Long Beach this weekend. It's Long Beach right now for us. Long Beach all week. Let me. Uh, Trey Adams also here. Myself. Hello. Can you just turn that up a bit, Ashley, uh, please? Yeah. My all days aren't as good as yours. Here we go. And let's uh, let's get out into the sunshine and uh, enjoy the weather a bit more. Um, third round of the uh, IMSA Championship for this year, and the third very different. A uh, very different venue that we've had. Daytona, Sebring, and now the main streets of Long Beach. Who's winning this weekend and why? Juan Pablo Montoya. Right. Uh, now you've, you've told me there's some tricky thinking about this. And you've just put your sunglasses on, which sort of ruins it for me because I won't be able to see the expression of shock in your eyes. Now, okay. we are in Long Beach, but let's jump over here in my little time machine. Let's mm-hmm. go back to 1999. 
right? Okay. Where were you in 1999? Do you remember? Yes, I was probably here. Okay. Yeah. So is Juan Montoya. Yeah. Do you remember what happened with him in cart in 1999? Uh, he came from the back to the to the front of the field and won. He came here as a rookie yeah. in his rookie season of cart. He went on to be the champion ah. in his first year, 1999. Right. He was 10th in his first ever race okay. at Daytona. Right. He was 10th this year in his ah. rookie season of IMSA. His second race, he was 14th. This year, his second race at Sebring, he was 13th. So did okay. a little bit better. Okay. His third race of that 1999 season was at Long Beach. He won ah. his third race of his championship here. He's going to win. Okay. I, I, I think he's stretching the uh, statistical <laughs> anomalies uh, a little bit a little bit too far. Uh, just the two classes of cars here this weekend, of course. Yeah, 22 cars, which is down from the 35 we started with last year when we got here, but proved to be a bit uh, busy. I think it's fair to say we had more caution than we had green flag running. So for the race this year, it's the pros. It's the best of the best that we brought. 22 cars, we've got eight GTLMs, so all the rest are prototypes. It's going to be busy out there, though. Uh, yes, but I think the the differential in the speed should be all right. You'll still get people crashing into each other because that's what happens uh, around here. It is uh, the shortest race on the calendar, longest journey for a lot of people like me. Um, and uh, I just hope that we get a lot of green flag running. When we have had green flag running in the past here, we've had good races. Yeah, for sure. We had a couple of years without any sort of caution. So hopefully we get back to that. Uh, it is going to be a busy weekend, though, because they have so many other series running. We've got IndyCar, which we'll talk about a bit later, I'm sure. We've got Can-Am, the stadium super trucks, drifting, a lot of different tire compounds that are going to be laid down. And not as many Continentals out there because we don't have the GTD class like last point. year. So it's going to be even harder for the prototypes. Yeah, that's a good point because the, the other eight cars are on Michelin's, of course. Yep. So that there is a slight different balance uh, on the way it is at the moment just over to my left and my right your left the streets are still open we haven't closed the roads yet there's still traffic on them we could have driven in on them this morning uh, no running tomorrow first running is is friday and the imsa cars are out pretty early we're the first yeah we're the street sweepers um <laughs> it has been uh, rather typical over the years that the guys have been first um saturday so friday is some practice and some qualifying uh, qualifying will be important here, so I expect to see people really pulling it out in the qualifying and laying down some fast laps, particularly in the prototypes. And uh, it's a, you know, there's a lot of new teams here as far as the prototypes are concerned, and I'd be interested to see how those new teams go here. Can Mazda, for example, in a shorter race where reliability isn't such a big issue, can they pull something out of the bag? Yost looking pretty solid in terms of their pace at, at both um, Daytona um, and then a big step forward it seemed oh, at, at Sebring uh, and they're quite bullish about that can they do something here um, I think they want to this is as close as a home race for Mazda because yep. um, uh, Mazda Sport is uh, is based just up the road so that'll be interesting I think qualifying going to be very very important um, but racing on Saturday with no warm-up yeah. on Saturday morning. So put the cars away on Friday night and then don't get them out again until Saturday afternoon. And leaving racing drivers with nothing to do for that amount of time can only be dangerous. Very dangerous. There's been a slight BOP change since we were at Sebring. The Mazda's lost quite a bit of their fuel capacity. I think it was seven liters taken out of the car. So we'll see how that plays out as well. Strategy-wise, it will be a two-stopper for the prototypes. Likely to be a really? one-stopper. Oh, yeah, it was last year as well. 
Um, it should be a one stopper for the GTLM cars, though. And there we're looking at another interesting scenario because BMW was, let's face it, way stronger than everyone else expected them to be at Sebring. They've been rain backed in a little bit. But this is, I mean, this is Delaberland's home track. It's the first year he's not racing here. It's going to be mm. weird. And we drove down through Redondo Beach, and uh, which is where Bill's hometown is, and beautiful part of the world. I, I'm not sure Bill will even want to come here. It would be too difficult for him. Well, he's been in mid-Ohio the last few days, trying to test, as many IMSA teams have in between Sebring and now. A lot of them have been snowed out, as a matter of fact, and Bill yesterday driving around on the track with Frost, so I'm sure he's going to appreciate even more that we were going through his hometown. Had a quick chat with Ollie Gavin uh, before I left for the airport. He was looking back at some of the old races uh, and basically trying to make some sense of what you do tactically here. And one of the great things about this being a 100-minute race, on Saturday, remember, Saturday here, uh, local time, early afternoon, um, one of the great things about it being 100 minutes is any tactic can still win this race. In fact, one of Bill Oberlin's victories came out of an enforced early pit stop that they made into a winning strategy. So as far as the GT cars are concerned, I think anything goes here. And just because you have a problem early on, if you stay on the lead lap, you're not necessarily, you're not necessarily out of it. Well, with no Ferrari here in GTLM this weekend, we're looking at Ford to keep the streak of manufacturers going because we've had Porsche, Corvette, obviously, last year, BMW in 2014. We've had this streak going of a different manufacturer every year. Ford have not done well here in the past, though. They have really struggled with this track. Do you think they can get it done? Uh, they typically have a car that looks good in medium, fast and fast corners. Not that many of those here. You're looking for mechanical grip. Um if they can pull something out of the bag here, I'm sure they'd be delighted. California, big market for all the auto manufacturers. Although not necessarily the this race is not necessarily the uh, the favourite place for a lot of the drivers and and teams to come. To be honest, and it is uh, it is difficult weekend with having having everything uh, in a small area and in a small uh, time uh, time schedule as well in in terms of how many different uh, uh, how many different. Uh, how many different series we have uh, on the tracks. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 13, uh, episode 14, back up in London. Tim Gray, are you still listening to us, Tim? Maybe not. Maybe he went off for a bit of dessert. We're still connected. No, I was, I was, uh, I was, oh, eating, I was eating some Easter egg. <laughs> All right, don't panic <laughs> me, lad. We, we stepped back inside there because we were worried we lost, we lost the connection. Um, but you just continue to chat away anyway. Well, yes, exactly. We're pros, mate. We're pros. That's all we do. Um, Weather forecast. Weather won't play a part this weekend. It's going to be lovely. Much as it is now, it's mid-20s degrees Fahrenheit. uh, Mid-20 degrees uh, centigrade, rather. Yeah, if it was 20s Fahrenheit, I would be complaining. 70s, late 70s. To be fair, you complain when it's 20 Celsius as well, Shay. Yeah, she does. I am wearing long sleeves right now, Tim. She is. And I'm wearing shorts and a T-shirt. So am I. uh, as, as far as um, our broadcast are concerned, check the website for details. Uh, plan is to have full coverage of all the sessions and we'll have qualifying and the whole race live uh, for you in sound and vision. Uh, if you're in the US this weekend, XM Series, of course, for the race, would also quite a big one, this one, um, because it is on Fox. So um, Brian Till and the rest of the team who are up in Charlotte, they're done. Ah, now, are they trackside for this one? I don't think so. All right, okay. Um, so they're up in Charlotte. The rest of the team in the pit lane here. 
Uh, it's Jeremy Shearby and Pat Long this weekend joins us. Porsche driver extraordinaire uh, will be joining us in the booth uh, for at least Saturday. We're going to try and drag him in for some of the Friday sessions as well, but that depends on when he turns up. But check local listings for details, as they say, because it's a very busy weekend on RS1, RS2, IMSA Radio and RS3, uh, more of which I'm sure in a moment. And in fact, we've got a, an ELMS it's the ELMS season opener this weekend, Tim, and we've got an ELMS preview uh, tomorrow on uh, on RS1. RS3. RS3, okay, which is where it is at the weekend. That makes that makes perfect sense. Um, shall we talk a bit of IndyCar as we're well, before, looking across we at do, the IndyCar paddock? Before okay. we do, uh, let's talk about how well motorsport sponsorship works. Uh, In so, what respect? Uh, two I years ago, going. two years ago, a uh, an energy drink uh, did a little survey of fans of a particular series and uh, quite a lot of them had never heard of that energy drink uh, now yes. 16 million who previously said they'd not heard of it have heard of it and 11, million, the... 11 million of them now drink it at least once a month so that would be the Monster Energy NASCAR series it would it? be yes well you know if if particularly if it's a demographic that you aren't reaching, um, then, you know, fair play to them for identifying that hole in their sales and plugging it um, with a sizable amount of sales. Um, we've seen, you know, um, motorsport is... Uh, different types of motorsport can deliver you a different demographic. Sports car racing tends to be much more of a, a golf uh, type of demographic. People with uh, higher disposable income multiple cars multiple holidays expensive watches uh, at least one car um i think it's something like eight out uh, seven out of ten of them say that they have one's quote-unquote sports car in their garage over the weekend this was all research that was done a few years ago now for lms and and then imsa uh, which followed it up with something pretty similar i think if you use motorsport sponsorship sensibly. There's no reason, like any sponsorship, if you do due diligence, why you can't reach and open up a new marketplace for yourself. And clearly, that's what Monster's done very, very well in David NASCAR to the point here where they've decided to renew. Yeah, and what a sigh of relief that was for many people in Daytona that that did happen. They've done a phenomenal job with their marketing, though, because you go to the track. And you see monster products everywhere. Going to Homestead at the end of last year, the season finale, they sold the Budweiser's and the Miller Lights, you know, the sponsorship from Dale Jr., from Brad Keselowski. But they also had Monster Energy for sale in the Homestead vending area. That's not something I've seen before. That, right. That's not a normal option as an energy drink product. They've got their monster girls in the victory circle, who one of which was doing a very fine owl impersonation over the shoulder of Kyle Busch, who won the race on the weekend. Okay. They're very present, and they're they're clearly putting their money in and getting their money's worth. And, and as I say, fair, fair play to them. Uh, shall we move on, Tim? Where yes, so you mentioned week? IndyCar. They were at Phoenix at the weekend. And, yes, uh, and I watched it all. The young Tim. drivers continue to dominate extraordinary race uh, literally edge of the seat stuff lot of green flag racing again and phoenix uh well first of all alexander rossi um absolutely owned the place uh, he was the fastest car out there all tires or new tires i thought uh pierce phillips and schmidt peterson motorsport once again proved that being torn apart and rebuilt over the last what 
year or so has not done them any harm at all with both James Hinchcliffe uh, and Robert Wickens, who's proven to be a solid rookie, even in his first uh, oval race. He's not done an oval race before. Obviously, a hugely experienced driver, but in very different conditions. Um, I thought he drove sparklingly, particularly right uh, at the end uh, of the race. The old guard struggling a little bit with the, the new cars. Although that said, Scott Dixon still, come, still did come through the field to get good points again. But you you feel, Shea, that those guys who we might have picked on as the uh, favourites before the season start might be struggling to put a, a good season together. Well, it's, it's a bit like what Pele has been saying. If you never had to drive the old car and you won't understand, you don't appreciate as much... If that's with the Porsche. Now coming into IndyCar, you've got guys who don't have the same experience. Mm. We've got the guys who have been saying that the Indy Lights cars of years past feel very similar to this new car. Yeah. So for them who've spent less time in the IndyCar that they grew to know and love, to come into this, it's a blessing in disguise. A couple of nasty incidents in the pit lane for the first pit stops. Uh, very lucky not to have the sort of injuries that we saw at Ferrari in the Formula 1 at the weekends, a lot of people sort of looking at that very carefully. I think uh, a degree of uh, taking a step back and making a considered decision, both in Formula One and in IndyCar, is required. However, I will say that I've been reading some of the uh, posts on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective on Facebook. I am still not convinced about this drive towards faster is more exciting it's more entertaining i think safety is what you should be thinking about in the pit lane uh, we saw in formula one uh, and in indycar at the weekend when a lot of people around the car it can so easily go wrong i know there were specific reasons for, for for the incidents but i still think that sports cars and particularly the fia wac and le mans going to going away from splitting tire changing and fueling and doing those at the same time. I think you'll get away with that in most pit lanes, but I don't think you will at Le Mans. And I'm really fearful about that. And I've still, and I'm afraid, I don't subscribe to the reasoning that's been given by the series to, to make that change, which has worked fine, which is our pit stops look too slow against everybody else's. Well, I'm sorry, this safer. It is just safer that way around. Uh, away from that, at, at Phoenix, um, I thought uh, I thought the racing was, was good. Uh, I thought, uh, as you said, the younger guys did did very, very well indeed. Uh, who would you pick out? Aside from Robbie Wickens, you mean? Yeah. Uh, Ed Jones was doing a really good job until the commentators placed the curse on him indeed. and then he went into the wall uh, passing lap traffic. It, it was just one of those races, though, that for me, Joseph Newgarden was the star. Mm. And uh, Tim Sendrick calling him in for the pit stop, you knew that he was going to be a force to reckon with. And I almost felt bad for Robert Wickens because it was like blood in the water. Joseph was going to get that win, whether he knew it or not. Made it hard for him, though, yeah, and did, did it in a, a very uh, a very veteran style for someone who hasn't driven on ovals before. Absolutely clean, made his moves, coming onto the straights immediately to uh, to make uh, Joseph Newgarden go and try and go around the outside. Ultimately, the new tyres did yeah. pay off. You've got to wonder, with the laps running down, if he'd maybe held on one more lap, whether the, the best of those new tyres would have gone away. But still got a good result for Schmidt-Peterson, both the cars uh, scoring very, very well indeed. I just thought it was a good spectacle. I've always liked Saturday night racing under the lights. 
into the from the daytime into the light it worked really well um, and it looks like this new formula is throwing up some really really interesting results and as you say it's nice to see some some new people at the front for this weekend is where it's going to get very interesting though mm. because who won the race 12 months ago it was Robert Wickens' teammate, James Hinchcliffe. Yeah. James comes here as a defending race winner, but all the attention is on his rookie teammate. Can Wickens get the win? Might it be somebody else sneaking through? I'm, I'm looking at Simon Pagenaud because he's in a very similar situation. Everybody's looking at Joseph. Yeah. People are forgetting about him. But the Andretti cars have got to do better. Graham Rahal's yeah. got to do better. You know, Marco in particular just hasn't had a good opening to the season. He doesn't look particularly happy and 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 god bless him i love him a bit for this he, you know what mood mark was in because he can't hide it yeah. he wears his heart on his sleeve and he, he's not a happy driver at the moment graham rahal i wouldn't say he looks all at sea but some of the drivers just don't look their usual selves maybe coming back to something on the streets will help them maybe it won't because this new car with less downforce will it move around more yes possibly but again you're not this is more of a traditional sort of street track, much more than, say, St. Pete's was, yeah. which has got a lot more fast-flowing areas. So maybe this will slightly reset the balance. Um, I think we'll know pretty early, yeah. if I'm honest, because the guys who typically, through all of the opening races, the Indy, the Verizon IndyCar series, um, the order has pretty much been set at the start of the week and nobody has been able to improve. And as you said, coming back to the streets, it's their first repeat track of the season, so to speak, because mm. they were on St. Petersburg. They already know what the car likes for this sort of a, a bouncy, bumpy, aggressive circuit. And let's face it, Long Beach might be fewer than two miles, but it's it's difficult. We, do, we have seen some good races here, particularly, as I said, when you get green flag racing here. Um, quite atypically the opening races of the IndyCar series has had a lot of green flag racing and I think it's benefited from from that uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it I um, obviously we got the international coverage back in the UK I thought the NBC pre-show was pretty good um, I thought the coverage was very good um, thoroughly enjoyed it it was on at a, um, an odd time in the middle of the night so I watched it on tape delay but it just meant basically that the British coverage just went with the Americans and for the most part went for their ad breaks as well, which didn't seem to be too intrusive. Um, and it did, you didn't miss too much of the action. But I thought the pre-race show was particularly good. Clearly NBC putting some resources into it, uh, told the story. I thought it went really well. And quickly, because you mentioned that the British going along with the American, can I just say how amazing the American coverage was this week of F1? Because mm. ESPN did it without commercials. It was all sponsored by Mother's Polish. There were banners that would drop in from the top every occasion. But we mirrored your coverage, and it was Oh, it was so much better. Well, and that's how it's supposed to be seen because that's how have they. You, have you ever been that long without a commercial break, Shay? Never. Never in my life. But that's what we've been saying all along about breaking the format mould. It's not about yeah. who's doing the commentary. It's not about where the pictures are coming from because they are typically coming from the same place, which is form. Um, all right, you can roll in some some replays if you've missed stuff while you were away, away on ad break. But, you know, in that's how we see it. We don't get any ads. Uh, well, get ads in practice and qualifying, but not in, in the race itself. That goes flag to not flag. Not really in qualifying and, either. Um, only, the, in no, the, only in the uh, session or in the periods between the three qualifying sessions, which are designed for commercial broadcasters to take break. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, not while there's track action, Tim. You're absolutely right. I didn't make that clear. Um, I, I think 
what ESPN's done is they have taken a huge step to looking at a different way of servicing their sponsors. It's what we've been talking about for a long time in American broadcasting, whether it's on radio or on television. The network broadcasters being so deeply wedded to what's called spot advertising, going away every five, six, seven minutes for three or four minutes at a time and and doing 30 seconds or minute commercials. That is very, very old-fashioned. It's very, very restrictive of how you can cover a sporting event that is continuous, that doesn't have innings breaks, that doesn't have timeouts. Um, You know, soccer, 45 minutes straight through, half-time, you know, there are ways of doing it. And, and what ESPN approved at the weekend is that they have brought themselves finally in their motorsport coverage into the modern age. And I, I applaud them for it. They've had their hands forced because of how Liberty have provided them with the feed and the fact that they've chosen not to revoice it and just to use the Sky Sports commentary. But I, I, I think that over the long term, people will get used to that. And what it's going to show you is that other forms of motorsport cannot go on with the same way of covering live motorsport. Yeah. Live motorsport cannot be covered in the same way as it always has been. It's it's a it's an archaic way of doing it. Yeah. And I agree completely. And spot advertising, look above us. What flag is flying over our head right now? Yeah, mothers. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, well done, whoever went out and did that deal. Um, it's not unheard of in um, in other forms of American television. In the entertainment region, I remember a series of 24 where the first two episodes, um, which were extended, yeah. so they were full hours, were presented without commercial interruption yeah. by the new Ford Explorer. And, you know, that was that was something that was done in real time. They just did that for a Family Guy episode like three weeks ago. So right. it still happens. So it can be done. It just means that the people who are selling the sponsorship have to come up with slightly more intelligent and constructive ways of getting the sponsor, in this case, Mother's Polish. And we've mentioned them plenty of times, but they deserve that because yeah. they've, they have been persuaded to try something different well it's worked for them it's really worked for them and fair play to them as well as to the person at ESPN who said we can't go on like this and they've made the uh, the announcement now that that will be the mode for the whole of the rest of the season and I won't be home for every race but I will thank them every Mm. race I will go on Twitter and I'm sure many people out there will do the same to help remind ESPN what a great idea that was. Uh, coming up to half past one here in California on the uh, left-hand coast, the west coast, looking out over the Pacific here with Chair Adam and John Hindover, along with Tim Gray back over uh, and up in London. Whilst we're talking about American television, um, yes. before we move on, um, a little story... I was going to move on anyway. I've got a lovely IndyCar story. All right, well, we can come... Well, let, do you want to but do that you, first? You then do we'll come your back telly, to telly. telly story first. Um... In Variety magazine, which is the industry uh, or Variety website, which is the industry website for entertainment, uh, reported as an exclusive, something that we've been waiting to hear about for quite some time. Uh, Velocity, uh, effectively a motorsports and extreme sports cable channel here in the States, in the autumn to be rebranded as the Motor Trend Network. Now, Velocity 
part of the Discovery Network, which includes things like Eurosport back in uh, the UK, have been on a very acquisitive uh, uh, timeline. Yes, um, they've bought quite a few properties recently in terms of, of TV over here in the States. Yeah. Yeah, $14 billion worth. Uh, they bought the Food Channel. They bought HGTV, just to name a few. Um, and so this extra acquisition, it proves to be interesting because it shows that they're trying to get everybody's attention. Well, what's happened over the last uh, 8 to 12 months is motor trend on demand has become, uh, has been growing, has been getting more um, rights for its OTT, its on-demand and live service. Uh, it was uh, sort of rebranded into part of uh, TEN, the Enthusiasts Network. And now that whole thing has been rolled into Motor Trend Network, which is going to be a combined uh, linear TV channel as well as a complementary on-demand and OTT service. The do, do you know my favourite quote from this press release? Go on, fire it. Uh, this is from uh, David Zaslav, who's the uh, president CEO of Discovery. He said, uh, we have content and brands that nourish passionate audiences for food, cooking, science, cars and Oprah. And Oprah, obviously. Oprah is om- omnipotent, though. Yeah. She's everywhere. If Oprah did a car programme, everybody would watch it. Yeah. yeah. In fact, if, you did a, if she did a programme in a fast car whilst cooking, that would be just perfect. The world would stop turning. Which channel would they put it on, though? All of them. All of them, then, you see. You could go across all of the channels. That that would be perfect. The the interesting thing for me about this is twofold. One, that that it's happened in the first place, and this is an interesting um, rebrand and bringing together of a number of different strands, but how they are utilising online and more traditional TV in a complimentary way to drive audiences to each one. Uh, there's over 160,000 subscribers to Motor Trend On Demand who now will get access to some of their favourite shows in longer form, in HD, on their cable packages. Now, Velocity as was, Motor Trend Network as will be, doesn't necessarily have a huge number of listings so far, but this might well drive um, listings on a cable networks it's an add-on for comcast it's mm. part of a separate package that you have to buy of uh, a group of channels so for example there if i want to watch motor gp race i have to buy a package that's an extra five dollars a month and so they, they distribute yeah. it that way it's going to push people to decide if they want that package but it, it's not a standard channel as of right now I think it's interesting because what they've already got is over 160,000 people who already pay somewhere in the region of four to five to six dollars a month for the on-demand service. And will they then be prepared to put hand in pocket to get a big screen experience? Some of them undoubtedly will. And going back to what Tim was saying about reaching okay. a new yes, reaching a new demographic, then I I am. I'm very interested to see what the crossover is, because if this works, it will have a lot of people taking a very close look at how these two services have been integrated, not just duplicating content, but properly complementary is what we've been told from the guys who run the channel. And as you know, we've had dealings with the guys at Motor Trend On Demand um, since pretty much 
pretty much they started and we know one or two of the people one of the two people there the other thing that's interesting about this and something that i tweeted about in the early hours of the morning when i first saw this coming through and thanks to carol brink for bringing it to my attention um is that there are a couple of major championships who were in very advanced situations of negotiations with velocity as it was now it's the same people who run velocity it's just becoming more a trend network the difference being that more a trend of course has this big online presence now at least one of those series has a an established major digital uh, partnership with one of the competitors to motor trend on demand how will that affect those dis- decisions that are being made those chats that are going on the answer is i don't know i'm just putting that out there what benefit might us tv viewers see well given the amount of con content that's in on motor trend on demand even if only a small proportion of that makes it to the broadcast channel that's going to be a very very big step forward and you've got to say from my point of view motor trend network looks like the reinvention of speed tv it does it has a lot of the same trademarks uh, associated with it you would have to think that they would maintain the contracts that were already established because they assumed a ton of debt when they bought scripts and hgtv and food network and all that so it's going to be interesting to see if they have to buy out certain contracts what what the association is but it's something to uh, watch out for in the near future well it's the the rebrand happens in uh, in the autumn so we'll be watching with uh, with interest on that and we'll try and get a word with some of the principals involved uh, with this and find out what the the vision is in a little little more detail here on Midweek Motorsport in the future. Right, Tim, where would you like to take us to now? We've done our, our, our variety, love. Yes. Well, you are in California. Indeed. Uh, what are you doing this evening? Uh, what am I doing this evening? Both of you. Uh, we are. Do you have plans? Heading... Yes, we do. Why? Uh, We've got because... work. Well, at 6.45... Uh, James Hinchcliffe is holding a press conference. Is he? Yes. I'll go. Straight away, she said, I'll go. It's at the Aquarium of the Pacific. Which is there. Oh, yeah, the big circle building. The big circle building over there, the big blue circle building. So, I mean, you've got four hours to get, five hours to get there, so plenty of time. Honestly, I could crawl there in that time, very slowly, backwards, using just one hand to pull myself along. Uh, We will be at the Porsche experience center at carson uh, just outside la for the now traditional circle porsche pre long beach pre bubba burgers uh, sports car grand prix of long beach event with a whole host of porsche drivers a whole host of porsches uh, and a lot of their customers why is james holding a press conference uh I have no idea of the content, and I suspect this is going to be more <laughs> of style than substance, this uh, press conference, uh, because it's the venue that's quite, uh, or the venue that's the most important part, because uh, he's not just uh, going to be doing it in one of the halls of the aquarium, he's going to be doing it in a tank underwater. Excellent. What, a tank underwater? He, well, will it not sink? He is going to be... A big tank with, like, tracks and that. A tank full of water, not a, oh, a tank. Sherman. Right, okay. <laughs> All right, okay. That, I said I'd gone to see that. <laughs> Doing a press conference underwater in a tank. In a tank. That's really good. We've had a snorkel. Uh, 
He said, I went diving when I was 10 on a family vacation and fell in love with it right away. Uh, it took a couple of years to get back to it just due to opportunity, but once I had the freedom to do it, I got certified, got a couple of advanced certifications as well. For me, it's the ultimate escape, the exact opposite of my life at the racetrack. Well, it's, it's similar, isn't it? It's solitary. You have to put protective gear on. There's stuff that's trying to attack you. Yeah, all wants to be in the same place you are. Yeah. Yeah, seems reasonable. Uh, Do you think you'll have Lena, Lena geared, yeah. Lena geared in his ear, saying, uh, swim without risk? Just thought. He'll, he'll be, uh, according to the, uh, or suggested by the photograph here, he might be joined by some turtles and uh, <laughs> something that looks like Dory from Finding Nemo. Okay. Um, well, Dory will be the biggest celebrity if they finally found her. Uh, have you not watched the film? No, I have. I was trying to make a funny. I uh, am. What? Oh, you've so, just spoiled it for me now. Un- I've got un- it on my computer. Underwater press conference. Uh, probably the first time it's been done in IndyCar. Um, and uh, you Moving can, on. You can see it live because it's being streamed as well. Of course it is. It's being streamed. So long, as it's, only a, so long as it's only a small stream and not a flood. Yes. Then, it, then the water's got out of the tank. Moving on. Uh, we've done IndyCar last weekend. So IndyCar this weekend, we kind of touched on. Um, yep. And you think uh, Wickens, Hinchcliffe, that sort of... Uh, and uh, Paginot, didn't you? You mentioned him as yep. well. Yeah. Newgarden will be strong again, though, coming off of a win. Uh, have some sad news. Uh, the death on Monday of John Miles uh, at the age of 74. He was an engineer and driver who yep. started 12 Grand Prix with Lotus, finishing 19th in the Formula 1 World Championship in 1970. Uh, but as an engineer, uh, he teams up with Colin Chapman um, at uh, Lotus, including... Uh, helping design the Lotus 63 which uh, uh, was the four-wheel drive Formula 1 car that Jochen Vint and Graham Hill were set to race in 1969 before um, it was banned before it was banned and both drivers said they had no interest in the car mm. yes um, Smashing Bloke did actually meet him a few years well it's a long time ago now um, and one of those special breed of driver stroke engineers that there were around in those days that we don't get quite so many of uh, now. Mark Lee probably being the best known uh, of them. Uh, and um, just another great storyteller, very uh, very humble man and very, very matter of fact. And, you know, you would start telling him a story and you go, whoa, 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 hang on a minute, you were there when whatever it was he was yeah yeah of course yeah then we did that and then we fixed that with a hammer and a piece of chewing gum and some fishing wire you know whatever and it, it just great great guy um, sad loss uh, condolences to family and friends and one thing you may not know about him is that he had his own record label uh, yes but it wasn't that john miles as in music it, it was wasn't my first it wasn't that john miles no uh, but I, that's very confusing then. Yes. John Miles, the other John Miles, uh, was Tina Turner's uh, musical director, as well as having a, 
um, a few hit singles of his own and writing and producing a lot of hit, hit records. When Tina Turner made her comeback, um, he was her musical director on a comeback tour, but not the same person. But I didn't know John Miles, Lotus John Miles, had his own record label. Uh, yes, he launched in 1985 and won uh, uh, Jazz Album of the Year wow. uh, for an album called Tamburello, inspired by the death of Ayrton Senna. Wow. wow. That one passed me by completely. I'll have to look that up now. Uh, listen to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, Tim Gray is up in London. Where are we going next? Uh, we're going to stay at Long Beach... Uh, yeah, well, we haven't moved, so that's good. We um, have stayed. You, you really can't move. Uh, I, I know you have a uh, wireless connection, but... Uh, we could walk down the end of it or up that end a bit, but uh, as we've got a good connection at the moment, I don't feel the need to, and I'm staring at Queen Mary just off to our, our right. So where would you like to take us next in terms uh, of... You are a man who likes a good watch. I do. Every man should have a good watch. And uh, Casio are pleased to announce that they've released a new addition uh, to their range, combining dynamic design with advanced technologies. Right. Is this a Tom Onslow cool watch? Uh, It's not, although perhaps it ought to be. Uh, It is, in fact, four uh, new watches. Right. Um, The EQB900TR-2A, the EFS S520TR-1A, the EFR-559TR-2A and the EFR-559TRP-2A. Elliot Forbes Robinson, apparently, our uh, driving standards official here and first winner of the first uh, American Le Mans Series title. What's the motorsport connection then, Tim? Come on, you've, you've piqued my interest. Time is everything, said Brendan Hartley. Oh! Uh, and? He said, uh, I much prefer the high speed I get while driving my F1 car. Having synchronised our watches, uh, we arrived at Albert Park at the start of the season right on time. Oh, dear. I don't actually so hang on, think hang he on. said that. No, I bet no. he didn't say that. Um, so what sort of watches are they? Are they uh, classic? Uh, Casio do a good line in sort of um, radio-controlled and light-activated Watches. And these, my these little are G-Shock is brilliant. As, uh, metal sport watches. Oh, all right. We'll have to have a look at them. Yeah. I'll They're send, two good watches. I'll send you a picture. Thank you. Move on. Uh, ev- everyone. When I was seven, everyone wanted <laughs> no, no, a Casio no. watch. Really, That's, move that on. That is true. That is true. We are the same age. And when I was that young, everyone wanted a BBG. Yep. We uh, are not G-Shock the same now. age, Shay. No, no. No, Brendan. Brendan oh, Brendan, JR. right. Yeah, yeah. And presumably that was his quote. No, that was me that said that. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> right, moving on. Uh, I'm really struggling to find things. What else is happening in Long Beach? Stadium Super Trucks, World Challenge. But IMSA, we're the main show. I mean, you know, everyone else is going to go home on Saturday, right? It's all about the big show. Actually, what we should be talking about is what else is going on this weekend as well, Tim. And we should do some shameless forward promotion for tomorrow evening, which is our LMS preview, I believe. We've already done a lot of that with Graham. Uh, But we could uh, shamelessly promote what's happening on Sunday morning. Yes, this is the uh, Nürburgring 24 qualifying race. Six hours on a Sunday, so different in uh, most of the fundamentals. Eight on Sunday and B, it's six hours. It'll be Paul Trustwell and 
uh, Bruce Jones, who bring you that on uh, RS1, uh, RS1 for uh, that in sound and vision. In fact, we've got lots of sound and vision this weekend to the point where I have no idea how we're going to squeeze it all under the front page because uh, we've got ELMS in sound and vision for qualifying in the race. We've got Michelin Le Mans Cup in sound and vision for presumably for qualifying in the race yes. as well. First, first time uh, uh, this year that we'll have uh, qualifying coverage from the Michelin Le Mans Cup. And we'll have that in Sound and Vision as well. That's Johnny Palmer uh, leading our commentary team out at Port Ricard. And uh, we've also, of course, got IMSA live qualifying on Friday in Sound and Vision and the whole race live on Saturday in Sound and Vision for the international audience. But obviously, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Fox have it on Big Fox on the network here in the States. So uh, if you're in the States, you'll get that. Um, six hours, Nürburgring, uh, We've had two rounds of the VLN already. Um, a lot of the factory drivers are otherwise engaged this weekend because of the, some of the events we're talking about. Uh, however, BOP has been announced for the big race. So now what it's down to do is anybody who hasn't had a good BOP will drive very, very slowly for six hours on Sunday. Is that the, is that the script? Hmm. Surely hmm. <laughs> you don't think so. But mentioning that VLN race, the one that was this Sunday past, which seems Saturday, yeah. Saturday, yeah. We've had uh, five different overall winners, and four of them run an IMSA GTLM full-time. you satisfied with what you're seeing in VLN so far? I, I enjoyed the race on uh, Saturday. I listened to most of the, the first round because I was otherwise engaged. Uh, didn't get to watch the video because I was moving around too much for the data connection. Um, Saturday, as uh, Johnny Palmer's sidekick, I thoroughly enjoyed the race. Uh, I thought it was intriguing. The guys from Raw Racing got the tactics absolutely right. Um, Monty Porsche, who I honestly, having even having watched qualifying, I thought the 911 and the 912 would drive away from the field. That didn't happen. Problems from for Roman Dumas' car. The car didn't finish the race. Vantor went off at some point around the circuit and damaged the under tray of the floor. Correct. And he tweeted about that afterwards, saying, I'm glad I learned it in this race so I know it for the 24. And then the other car had that spin. Yeah, and they just they just really weren't a factor. Um, I, I, it was, to me, um, I loved uh, the fact that we only did 27 rather than 28 laps. There was quite a bit of code 60 around it. Quite a few accidents and incidents, actually, uh, particularly coming up the hill from Bergwerk through um, Kesselschen and that sort of area. Um, and that slowed it down. So we ended up only doing 27. Normally we do 28 in the four-hour Races, so it became far far more tactical. The Ferraris looked good. Ferrari led the race for a little while. We had a, a slightly long last pit stop. They didn't quite get the tactics right. You know that goes out the, the the window when we get to the 24 hours because it's basically do your eight lap stints, rinse and repeat, and and, and start counting back from about four hours from the end of the race. What I think it showed is that there isn't that much difference between the individual cars. Everybody, of course, will be telling me that's not the case and that one car or another, um, one manufacturer or another has uh, has an, an advantage or disadvantage and that might very well depend on which shirt that person is wearing and which manufacturer logo is on that said shirt. Um, the six-hour qualifying race, well, let Trustwell take you through the, the machinations of it, but it does count for automatic qualifying um, into the top positions to be seeded uh, and get uh, uh, get the blue lights 
and get into qualifying at the race proper. Uh, it's an opportunity to get some extra running weather forecast. It's not bad. It'll be broadly similar to what we see in the main race. Uh, and the six-hour race is just something a little bit different, a little bit longer. Gives a chance for tactics to play out even even further. What I don't expect to see is a flat-out dash. It's tended not to be the case uh, in the past that it's been a flat-out dash. And there may be a few games played Porsche with the past Masters at it. Um, and if they're not happy with their BOP, expect the Porsches to go slowly and th- then point the finger and go, look, 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 our BOP wasn't right. Um, can I, the can other I ask thing you a question we... about the race at the weekend, John? Yeah, go uh, ahead. Because uh, I didn't see it, um, but obviously you uh, were commentating on it. Was uh, Tracy Crone taking part again? Uh, that's a good question. His name was on the list, but I'm not sure he was there. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, so that, I, I don't know then whether he's got enough time for his... Well, he, he must did, have time because he he's, he's done races, the 24 hours before. He did two races. No, he hasn't done the 24 hours before. No, but he's done two, he did two races he did at the back end of last year. He did two races last year in the VLN. Yeah. He did the first round of this year, so he has done the it three dep- he needs. Well, it depends how many laps you do. You can actually get enough laps in if you do a full four-hour race yourself. Um, like pretty much anyway. Um, it's about how many. I think you've got to get... Feeling it's 16 laps, you've got to get in in a, an approved car like a Cayman or a GT86. Um, but I might be wrong, it might be 20, um, in which case that'd be a bit tight to do in one of those cars in a four hour race. Um, so the answer, the answer to that is I think his name was on the list, but I don't think he raced. Um, the, the other big thing that I was reminded at the weekend by a number of people is, and we saw this playing out last year right to and including race week here is people making their tyre selections uh, and not sure what the situation is this year about um, the tyre regulations if you remember last year uh, there was a mandate that effectively no joker tyres were allowed no manufacturer confidential tyres were allowed you had to make all of your tyre compounds and constructions available to anyone who wanted to buy them and Michelin weren't prepared to do that so some of their teams um, having spoken to them decided to shake hands and go on to a competitive brand um, and in fact the team that won which was Land last year wasn't it um, yeah. they, they won that and by the way congratulations to uh, Kelvin von der Linde who for the third time I think has been voted South African Motorsport Personality of the Year uh-huh. uh, just confirmed I think yesterday uh, so uh, congratulations to, to Kelvin uh, for for that accolade. Um, so th- there's still plenty to play for uh, at the weekend, team in the six-hour race. And uh, Trussus will be uh, taking you through all the machinations, ably assisted by Bruce Jones. And that starts on Sunday. It does. Uh, six-hour race starting, at, starting when on UK uh, time? Coverage on... starts at 10.20 uh, UK time, with the race starting at 11. So that is on... Did we RS1. say that was on RS1? Right, okay, RS1 at the weekend for that. Presumably, that will go uh, an overlap with the ELMS, but no need to worry because... That will completely um, swallow the ELMS. Yes, okay. So so that's right over the top of the ELMS, ELMS is it? Uh, more or less. I think there is... Uh, oh, no, that does completely swallow the ELMS, yeah. So are the, we going to The countdown to, do... to green for the LMS starts five minutes before the countdown to green for the N24 qualifying race. Okay. And that is so, the... You have to make a choice as to which one you hear live. 
No, Although picture, you picture. have two ears. Exactly. Two ears, yeah. Um, or uh, I presume that we're going to repeat both as soon as they're finished. I think that's, uh, that's a very that dangerous presumption. Well, and then if the if you're listening to the Nurburgring and the Halo S finishes after four hours, you still have two hours to go of the yes. N24 race. Yes, but you, we could play the whole of the ELMS race as soon as the Nurburgring finishes over on um, RS1. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Yes, we just yeah, couldn't so that... do the other way round because it won't have finished. No, but you could play the first. You could play be listening on catch up then, couldn't you? It's doable if you break the race down. I like that idea. Uh, you can, come, you can come and produce it then. Uh, I'll I'll be still in the air at that point. But I, I will be home for the IndyCar race. I will be able to just Me about to catch the Indi, end of the IndyCar race. How um, do you lose $30 million? Down the back of the sofa. That's possibly where... Be a Russian, be a Russian oligarch and watch your share price half overnight. That's probably where Ron Devine should look. Uh, BK Racing... The NASCAR team lost $11 million in 2014, $10 million in 2015, and $8.4 million in 2016. Owie. That's just careless, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it had a total revenue uh, of uh, just $9.93 million in 2016, uh, mainly because it had no sponsors. Uh it earned $7.8 million in prize money. Wow. Across its two cars. Uh, so doing start and park, or even tooling around at the back, tootling around at the back, is still actually financially pretty viable. Well, well no, because... Brad Kazowski trucks. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were actually very competitive. So. Right. It, it did have um, David Reagan and uh, Michael De Benedetto in two of those cars. Um, they entered a fourth, three cars uh, for nine races, and a fourth car in the Daytona 500. So, plenty of uh, plenty of cars around, um, and as I say, nearly eight million dollars in prize money, but they still made but a loss enough. of eight million dollars. And this is why uh, payroll and wages five million eight hundred ninety-six thousand eight hundred ninety-eight dollars. Right. Ooh. Engine lease. Four million ninety-three thousand seven hundred sixty-one dollars. Ouch! Right. So half of the prize money went straight away on the engine lease. Yes, that's interesting. Tires. How much do you reckon they spent on tires in a season? Two million. Yeah, One million nine hundred sixteen thousand three hundred twenty-seven dollars. Yeah. Okay, so your engine lease and your tires, and. You haven't even turned a wheel or paid a truck driver, and you're pretty much there or thereabouts on on your prize money. Travel. Yeah, that's another two million. One million eight hundred one thousand yeah. eight hundred twenty-two dollars. Uh, so en- there you go. Entry fees, because you do have to pay entry fees for NASCAR. Million. Four hundred ninety-three thousand one hundred twenty dollars. Uh, okay, that's very reasonable. Yeah, for multiple cars. Brakes. It's more than that to uh, enter Le Mans. Brakes. They don't use the Ah, not that much. $400,000. (laughs) $162,494. And how much should they spend in putting stickers on the cars? So vinyl costs and application. Million bucks. 180. Uh, Very close, Shay. $138,880. Yeah. 
Oh, man. So the big ticket items, I mean, obviously, apart from your wages, but... Oh, engines and tyres. Engine, tyres and travel. And that was was everything that they earned in prize money. So So if if you have a group of people who are willing to work for nothing, you can break even in NASCAR... Uh, if you are competitive enough to get eight million dollars a year in prize money, but what it proves is you don't, you don't use need any breaks. Yeah, uh, what don't it does, go to Bristol. Uh, if if you you don't have to have a lot of sponsorship dollars to actually start making that be a reasonable proposition. They use five lug nuts on a wheel. Each of the lug nuts costs a little bit more than a dollar. At the end of the race, they don't go out and pick them all up. They leave them there. So fans can go and get them, collect them, whatever. I'd At go the out end of Homestead, oh, I did. I, I grabbed two owner. off of Dale Jr.'s car. <laughs> yeah, after the finale at Homestead. But like, you're looking at the pit lane and you're thinking about how many pit stops they did. We calculated Mike Murphy and I and uh, Jen Klein. We figured out that there was 22 grand worth of lug nuts on the pit lane after Homestead that were just being abandoned. Surely you could sell them as Back you know, to teams. sold them. For, well, no, but yeah. they won't want to use them again. In Ten case cents in the dollar and. No, no, but sell them at two dollars a pop yeah. to fans, or sell a you know, sell a set for ten dollars. Yeah, I like that idea. So you've got uh, you've got a pair of Dale Jr.'s nuts. Yeah, I didn't show them to you when you came by after uh, no. Sebring, but you know, it's all very good. Yeah. Uh, and that's about all we have time for. Uh, I'll just finish this story. Union Bank and all Trust right. uh, is owed eleven point four million dollars, and the IRS is owed two point eight nine three million dollars. Uh, uh, there may be other creditors, and if you think that you're owed money by BK Racing, you have until April the 26th <laughs> to file your claim. Very good. Very good. A huge weekend of racing coming up. All the details are on the bottom of the homepage at radiolamont.com. Uh, Imza from the Bubba Burger Sports Car Grand Prix here at Long Beach. Uh, we've got the ELMS opening round from Paul Ricard. Uh, we've got Michelin Le Mans Cup. And we've got VLN. Sorry, no, we haven't got VLN. It's uh, N24, Nürburgring 24 qualifying race. Spread across the three channels of the Radio Show Limited network of channels this weekend uh, with uh, Johnny Palmer and Graham Goodwin. Uh, We've got, uh, they're down at Ricard. We've got Paul Truswell and Bruce Jones for the Nürburgring and the usual team of Shea Adam, Jeremy Shaw and me, John Hindhoff. Uh, added, aided and abetted this weekend by Plongy. Pat Long will be joining us so uh, in the booth. So you've got the shortest race time. and the most people. Well, I, you know, I don't like to overtax myself, to be honest. You your, know, Your race is shorter than the difference in race duration between the other two. Yeah, well, I've travelled the furthest. Uh. I think we worked out I spend uh, two and a half times more actually just in the air, never mind the rest of the travelling, than we have time on track here. So... And by the by, by the way, I should say here, um, our man on the ground here, Byron Peck, um, he's been on the road four days to get here and drove through an ice storm in his truck to get here to set up uh, all of our equipment and get us on the air. And he'll be doing exactly the same on the way back, all for a 100-minute race. And, uh, and we've got a forklift. My fuel truck from Sebring followed me. Diner lift. Uh, that's all we've got time for tonight. She and I are off to the Porsche uh, Experience Centre at LA. So if you're a Circle Porsche customer, we'll see you up there uh, this evening. Otherwise, on the radio at the weekend, there's no time to explain. The Lama's going to drool over new 911s. 
This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.